I spent a thousand or two thousand RMB, you know, a mm. couple hundred bucks on this <laughs> month. Yeah. Yeah. On a couple of months of treatments in order to get myself back into like, you know, not mm. crying because of the mm. possibility of becoming paraplegic. Mm. So, you know, for our American listeners who who are like, oh, yeah, but we live in America. It's so much better. You know, most 99 percent of the things that we're talking about are pretty much the same. Only the difference is in China, you can afford them. And in America, you will be indebted for the rest of your life because of them. I'm not saying, oh, okay, America, you need to become like China instantly. But I am saying that the American people deserve better than what Congress is delivering to them and that they need to demand better quality health care in the United States for everyone, not just for the rich. Welcome to The Bridge, fun conversations on culture, life and everything in between. Welcome to The Bridge. If you like this show, don't forget to subscribe. My name is Jason, and today with me is Bebe. Hi, Jason. I am very excited about today's show. Me too. Now. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. When I first saw this topic, I was like, what? Medic care? Like, health care? Sounds boring, but this just... Oh my gosh, this is so relevant, unless you're like 10 years old and you don't know. I, like... I know, I know, it's relevant. But the thing is, you know, it's not something pleasant to talk about. But when I got into it, it just goes to prove that once you start concentrating, and once you get into something, like anything could become interesting. Yeah. So by now, hours after reading the research, I'm super excited to be able to join the show. Well, apparently one in five elderly Americans are going without their medication due to cost. While some use the wrong medicine or simply go without, some are leaving America to buy affordable drugs elsewhere. Will new legislation allow the U.S. to negotiate with drug companies? Starting in 2026, this could be a game changer and save Save our very lives. You know, I don't take any drugs. Like I have coffee and that's the only drug I, or I guess sugar. Like that's it. Yeah. So same here. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. I guess someday um, I'm based on my weight. I'll probably be on some kind of high blood pressure medicine or something. Oh, well, hopefully not. I mean, you have a park right near you. Like, you know, walk. I think it helps a lot. I will eat that park. <laughs> <laughs> I'll eat that park. It's a good one. If I was taking like high blood pressure medicine, I assumed that I might have a stroke without it. Right. So. Oh, gosh. Jason. If you're 75, <laughs> I'm not trying to talk about my. OK, we should put this a different if you're a 75 year old elderly retired American and you're taking medicine to keep your blood pressure down, if you stop taking your medicine because you can't afford it, that might mean a heart attack or stroke. It could be death. Right. That's true. So this is serious stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the thing is, like when it comes to healthcare, I mean, in any country, right, it's a massive topic and every country suffers from its own complicated issues with its own healthcare system. But I think the U.S., I'm so sorry, but you U.S. is like notorious for how expensive its healthcare system is. And I think it's not just compared to like other countries, but increasingly for its own citizens. Uh -huh. So where shall we start? I mean, there's so many angles we can go about this. I mean, you bring up some really interesting points, and I actually want to address some of them early mm. because I think it's really interesting. And I, we can't ignore this argument that some people are thinking America's healthcare may be expensive, but it's some of the best healthcare on Earth if you have money. If you have uh, yes. outrageously good insurance, right. it's probably one of the safest places to be if you have a medical condition. Mm. Or especially for like weird ones. I think the U.S. is still at the top when it comes to research and development. Mm -hmm. But for like most people, as you know, these articles indicate, a lot of the prices for drugs have become increasingly expensive. And, you know, the most amazing thing that I found in all of these articles <laughs> is the fact that the U.S. government does not have an agency <laughs> for negotiating prices of drugs. Did you know that? In one of the articles, by 2026, the United States will 
facilitate legislation, which finally does allow the United States to negotiate directly with pharmaceutical companies on behalf of U.S. citizens. So three years from now, they're going to start doing that. Yes. Because I did not know that. You know, here in this article, the United States has no government panel that negotiate drug prices. Hmm. I highlighted this phrase mm-hmm. like three times. I could not yeah. believe it. It says there are thousands of health insurance plans all across the country. People do have lots of choices, but each has to negotiate its own prices with drug makers separately. And that's a problem because you don't get yes. what we call economy of scale, mm-hmm. right? lowering prices because you have a huge market. Yeah. So it says because Americans are fragmented across all these different health insurers, plans have much less bargaining power to demand lower prices. Yeah. And this reminds me of a video, like a series of video I saw, like maybe just like two years ago. It went viral on the Chinese version of TikTok. And in this one video, I found this today. In one of these videos, it had over 5 million likes, which means it was, it probably had like hundreds of millions of views. And it was a video of a negotiation. So I found this video. So there, you know, it was a negotiation, two sides. One side is our representatives from, I think it's from the Chinese National Medical Insurance, like basically from the Chinese government. And the other side is a pharmacy, like the company who made this medicine. And I did a little digging. They were negotiating the prices for Spinraza. And it's a drug that it's for kids who have problems with their muscle control. Basically, like kids, they will progressively lose control of the muscles in their bodies. Yeah. Until eventually, you know, they will have problem breathing and eating. So which means, you know, it will be the end. So, you know, before this happened, prior to this took place in 2021, listen to the price for these drugs Mm. in the United States. It cost $125,000 per shot. What? This is the information I got. Well, how many shots do you need? For the first year, you need six shots. And I know so it's basically, you know, most people can't afford it. And then the following years, depending on how long the patient can, you know, survive, it's three shots per year. Oh, wow. Now, translate that into Chinese currency. Basically, for the first year, the family has to pay over 4 million RMB per year. Mm. And then a little bit less than that, about a million for all the years after that. It was so expensive that uh, not that much was so they, I think they only had a couple of tens of thousands in revenue. Mm. And most families just can't afford it. They have to literally sell their houses and everything. Very expensive. So then the government stepped in. You know, when we say in China, when we say the government stepped in, people are like, oh, yes, finally. Somebody's here to help us. And in different countries, they probably get different reactions. But here, you know, people finally can take a break and say, okay, we have hope. So in this video, which took place in 2021, December the 3rd, they went through, in the at least in the video, there were seven rounds of negotiations. And the prices went down eventually to, in RMB terms, 33000 per shot. So that's what, like $5,000 per shot? It's still expensive, but it's more affordable. So with 33,000 RMB per shot, now remember this started from 0.87 million RMB per shot. And then the national insurance covers 70% of it. I'm just thinking you're a villager in, you know, Gansu province and your income is, I don't know, 70,000 RMB for the entire year or something. Then even if the government covers 70 percent of it, you wouldn't have enough money to eat. No, listen. So after the insurance covers 70 percent, it's 10,000 RMB per shot. So the first year you will need 60,000 RMB per shot. And the following year is about 30,000 RMB per shot. So a couple thousand dollars per year. And that is basically they negotiated 98% of the price off its original price, which became affordable for, I think, basically everyone. When things like that, you would usually, you know, you have some savings and you ask help from, you know, your relatives. And the negotiation, this is how it works. So if they can reach an agreement, like if the prices of the drug can be lowered enough, then 
it can be included in the national health insurance system, which means the drug will literally have the largest market, I think, in the whole world, right? So maybe for the company won't make as much per shot or per patient, but they will have so many more patients who use their drugs. And also survivors continue to buy things, people who can't survive. There's also that. You're listening to The Bridge. But I want to stay a little focused on America here. I mean, these are good examples so that people know that there are other options. The reason I started this is because there was a new article. This is actually on Fox News. I'm not a huge Fox News consumer, but I found this on Fox News. Seniors are skipping medication to battle prescription drug costs amid crucial shortages, study finds. So this is May 22nd, and it shows that people are choosing, literally choosing between food and drugs. So they're like, okay, I have to either take these pills, which are supposed to keep me alive, or food, which is supposed to keep me alive. And people in America, one in five people are having to make this choice. Should I eat or should I take medicine? And obviously you can't survive on medicine alone. So people are going without medicine. People are also self-medicating. So they're like, oh, my neighbor has this. They choose their own drugs. The doctor says, okay, you need this drug for your heart. And then your neighbor says, oh, I need this medicine for my heart. Why don't you take that instead? It's cheaper. And so people are just taking their neighbor's medicines and things like that. So instead of listening to their doctor's advice about what they're doing, they're self-medicating. They're choosing their own medicines and taking those instead because they have access to those medicines or they're cheaper. So this is from the article. Americans have also been battling a shortage of certain drugs. March 2023 Senate report previously indicated the triple threat of COVID-19, influenza, and RSV caused a spike in patients seeking medicines. So there are actually some kinds of medicines that are gone because individuals and providers panic bought up all those medicines and now people who actually need them can't get them. Right. That happens. Yeah. It, it happens with, like, say, even vegetables and food, right? If there's um, oh, yeah, yeah. sure. going to be... Toilet paper. Yeah, things like that. Right. But when it comes to medicine, I think that's a lot more severe. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Again, this is a hometown register. Register.com. One in five seniors now skip medicine because of cost. This is May 23rd. So this is an ongoing huge problem with the pharmaceutical companies trying to make as much money as they possibly can. And I guess there are a lot of rich investors and scientists out there making a huge amount of money off of people's suffering. The material that, you know, you found, there are a lot of great articles. I found that actually these pharmaceutical companies, they don't have price ceilings or there's no other agency to give them price ceilings. They basically charge whatever they could charge in the market, which is very scary. Mm. And also one of the reasons they give is that because we need the profit for future R&D, like research and development. Hmm. Which is a good reason. I mean, huge profits, great incentive for both the pharmaceutical companies and for investors to put in more money into the pharmaceutical companies. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think there's also a trend Mm. for putting those investments into developing new drugs for the super rich, for, you know, fancy medicines that can, I guess, prolong people's life. But not enough is spent on producing uh, or making better medicine that help the common people because there's just not as much profit in it. And it's just scary, you know, common sense wise. It's just scary to think that the entire or most of the healthcare system is driven by profit. I don't know if it sounds scary to you, like when it comes to things like education or healthcare. These kind of things, I read so many things that are wrong with the way that different governments and the world operates every day that I'm beginning to grind my teeth. But on the point you just made, I wanted to add to that. This is an article. It's an academic from University of California.edu. Why are prescription drugs so expensive? It's not necessarily high R&D, new study shows. So a study conducted in 2022 shows that it's there's not an association between high R&D costs and high drug prices. The author, Dr. Olivier Wouters, PhD, said if that were true, we would see a positive association between the two measures, high R&D and drug prices. But that is actually not the case. It's all about profitability, just like so many things in capitalism. Oh, yeah. 
listening to the bridge. The truth behind the prices. Do you know about the patent abuses by big pharmaceutical companies? No, no. Please tell us. No. So I heard about these vaguely, but I didn't pay enough attention until now. In one of the articles on from Time.com, it's called "Big Pharma Patent Abuse Drug Pricing Crisis." So basically, we probably know that the U.S. has the highest cost on drugs in the world, and that is due to patent monopolies. So patent monopolies on seven out of ten of America's top-selling drugs are expiring this decade. Now, once these patents expire, it means more competitors can come into the market. Generic yeah, drugs. Yeah, generic drugs. Yeah. So once these patents are out of the way, so a lot of these drugs have patents that we understand. But sometimes, like、mm-hmm. the they should expire after certain years. But these pharmaceutical companies, they'll think of all kind of inventive ways. To enlarge, what's the word? Like to make the patents last longer. Okay. So that competitors wouldn't come into the market, right? And it says here that so I mentioned seven out of ten of America's top-selling drugs、hmm. are expiring this decade, which means these drug makers they stand to lose billions, at least billions of dollars, if lower-priced generic alternatives are allowed on the market. So unless you know America does something. To fight against this patent games, drug makers they will continue to have free reign, literally, to extend their patent production and delay competition and keep the cost of life-saving medicines sky high. So we're talking about a medicine that they developed 50 years ago, which they clearly haven't paid for the R and D in like anyone in that company that's operating there in their lifetime, and they want to maintain the profitability of their company. This seems really unethical. And also, some of the ways. They use to extend the patent is to have these like minor tweaks on the drug. Like you have,、uh, let's say, a certain drug A, and they will, you know, change the flavor or change the packaging, and then use this as a reason to extend the patent. So basically, you're getting the same thing, but you're just—it's like giving the drug ten years of new life to go without competitors to keep the price high. So, I mean, in this article, it says at the root of the nation's drug pricing crisis is the country's egregious abuse of a broken drug patent system, which was originally designed to promote. Ingenuity, like to you know, encourage people to invent, to create, right, and to invest. You if you invest this one billion dollars and make this new drug, you'll be able to keep the patent for the next fifty, sixty years. Yeah, or maybe like I don't know, like ten. So at the beginning, it was to encourage people to create new drugs. But when the system works as the Constitution intended, both industry and consumers they benefit, right? <laughs> But then somewhere along the way, the article says drug makers began manipulating the process to secure patents. Patents for simple tweaks to existing medicine, you know, changing the flavor, as I mentioned. Penicillin now grape flavored. Oh, gee. Well, it, <laughs> oh, I just、I'm、made、sure. that up. I'm sorry. <laughs> But so these big pharmaceutical companies uses the patent system not to reward invention anymore, but to block competition. Well, yeah, and to yeah. extend lucrative monopolies. And the money they're making off this is crazy. And everybody who are you know who's taking the drug is paying for this. It seems like they should just go cure a different disease and make money. From that for a while. So basically, drug makers have realized that it's just so much easier to extend patent monopolies、uh. than to, let's say, put the money. In developing new drugs,、mm. or to really invent something new to save lives, it's not about saving lives、mm. anymore. It's like whatever we can do to make sure we make the most profit.、Mm. And there's even a term for this. It's called patent thickets.、Mm. So basically, drug companies they don't have any control、mm. over playing this game. So they can kind of quietly obtain patent after patent, and you know, on these minor tweaks on many blockbuster drugs. I didn't know this blockbuster drugs, like drugs, I guess generic. Drugs that sell really well. I've never heard that term, but I think you can just use it that way in English. And this maneuvering allows them to extend their monopolies like far beyond the twenty years of patent production intended by law, and they make so much more money. Well, this is um going back to your earlier point about the government not having an agency to negotiate、mm. for prices. This is from NBC, January twenty eighth, two thousand twenty three, and I guess this is, just covers only people who are on Medicare.、Mm. So if you have like Blue Shield. 
old or whatever, maybe it, it doesn't apply to you. I'm not entirely sure, but it says Medicare negotiating drug prices will likely save the U.S. billions. So a provision uh -huh. Inflation Reduction Act allows Medicare to negotiate prices on the costliest prescription drugs each year and will save the U.S. billions. So I think you're right. I think I misread this. This is only Medicare's ability to negotiate for patients uh. who are on Medicare. So if you have your own private insurance, you're not included in the government's negotiating. So if, if the government negotiates for people who are on Medicare a reduced cost of certain kinds of drugs, but you're on some other plan, then you are not covered and the drugs that you're buying are still full price. So I have to retract what I said 20 minutes ago and say, actually, there is no government agency that is going to negotiate the price of drugs on behalf of all citizens. Mm. If you are not under Medicare, if you're on some other plan, your drug prices are not coming down in 2026. Well, I wonder why people are not more reactive to this, that no one is there to, to who has the power to really bring down prices. And I found some uh, when it comes to the. Well, I, I imagine if you're a poor person and you're choosing between having to sell your house huh. to save your child's life. That's true. You probably don't have the money to get involved in a multi-year, multi-million dollar lawsuit with a major pharmaceutical company. Yeah, that's why, you know, here in China, people are so happy when, you know, the government is like, here we are. <laughs> We're here to help you. We're, we are going to negotiate the price yeah. for you. I mean, it's also good for the pharmaceutical company because if they can get included on the national medical insurance system, yeah. oh my gosh, the market they're going to have. Well, I mean, I have to say, can I say, because I think this is the, a very big contention that I don't think a lot of folks in China realize. Yeah. That a lot of Americans, they look to the Chinese medical system and they don't understand how advanced it is. So I want to tell one or two very quick personal stories. Mm. Right now, I am covered by what's called international insurance. Mm. It's like an international insurance plan that covers me, you know, East Asia, mm. right? And including all of China's mainland. So you got this from like where you work, right? Yeah. And I also have the people's insurance, social insurance that, that most nice. Chinese people have. Mm. I don't use the international insurance. In fact, I don't even want it. I don't. I, my company is obligated to buy it for me for some reason. I, I don't even know where the card is. I don't care. I don't want to go to some international clinic that's sponsored out of like Macau or England or something. I go to the People's Hospital because I actually have been to the Chinese hospitals a lot of times and they've helped me every time. They're very efficient. It's really, I went to a hospital in Wuhan because I had cracked a cervical disc in my neck and they thought I might be in a wheelchair if I didn't get some kind of treatment. They were like, okay, this is really, really serious. We want to have surgery on you soon, but we went a different direction. We got some traditional Chinese medicine. We got some steroid, a steroid injection and some treatment, and it ended up working most of itself out, although it you know, probably will be a problem I have to look at when I'm an elderly person again. But I went to see a doctor 20 times. I had a an MRI. I had all kinds of treatments, all kinds of drugs. All ki I saw all kinds of different doctors in different floors. If I had the same amount of attention in the United States, I would currently owe like half a million dollars easily. I spent a thousand or two thousand RMB, you know, a mm. couple hundred bucks on <laughs> this month's Yeah. Yeah. On a couple of months of treatments in order to get myself back into like, you know, not mm. crying because of the mm. possibility of becoming paraplegic. Mm. So, you know, for our American listeners who who are like, oh, yeah, but we live in America. It's so much better. You know, most 99 percent of the things that we're talking about are pretty much the same. Only the difference is in China, you can afford them. And in America, you will be indebted for the rest of your life because of them. I'm not saying, oh, OK, America, you need to become like China instantly. But I am saying that the American people deserve better than what Congress is delivering to them and that they need to demand better quality health care in the United States for everyone, not just for the rich. Right. And what you mentioned, People's Hospital, I just want to clarify that the name of the hospital is People's Hospital <laughs> because, I mean, hospitals, public hospitals in China, they're meant to help people, right? It, they're not, their first goal 
sole priority is to provide healthcare for the population. And I, I want to mention that here in China, there's actually a great variety. Besides the public hospitals, there are also like different kinds of private hospitals. Like I had to take my doctor to the hospital just earlier this week. And because there's another wave of COVID going on and also the flu. So we wanted to... Maybe they meant she had to take her daughter to the hospital, not her doctor. My, my daughter, <laughs> my daughter to the hospital, right? Which is always unpleasant. But at least, you know, I, I just want to go over the, the things we did. Sure, please. First, we went to like the local clinic, which is about three minute drive from where we live. And we got a blood test and there's inflammation. But we wanted more details because I we think her heart was beating too fast. Mm. So we went to a public hospital. But usually, you know, this time of the year, it's pretty crowded. And my husband was really worried about COVID infections because we still have not had them. Hopefully we will never have them. So it's like he wanted somewhere a bit more private. And there is in the same building, there's a section that's basically pricier. I think that part was private, but it's they use the same resources, but it's like an isolated unit and it's just nicer. It's quieter. But, you know, we ended up paying maybe five to eight times the price we would normally pay mm -hmm. just for like uh, basically for private treatment. There was like nobody else there. <laughs> <laughs> and she got like some drips, you know, medicine. And so we spent like yeah, yeah. yeah three about three hours there. And there was like basically no other patient interfering. So there is like a huge range of choices depending on, I guess, how much you're willing to spend. The private part we went to was not covered by the national insurance. Like if we did go to the regular part of the hospital, it was a children's hospital. I think we could do this maybe in under a hundred dollars or probably even less. And it would still be relatively efficient. I think Chinese hospitals are pretty efficient oh, yeah. because they're used to seeing so many patients on a daily yeah. basis. So, you know, if people, our listeners are here traveling in China, we just want you to know that, you know, don't be too afraid or worried about the medical system. You do need a friend to help you to translate, though, in most cases. Not necessarily. Some of the hospitals, you know, you'd be surprised. So many doctors actually speak English because, you know, they're doctors. Usually they've had like, been in college until they were, or they've been in some kind of school from the when they were five to when they were 30 or something. So they usually speak at least two or three languages. Oh, that's true. Oh, yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. Okay, so back to um, what we were talking about, like the U.S. healthcare system. I found some examples when it comes to drug prices. So one of the, we were talking about patents, and there is a drug called Ilia. It's for treatment of an eye condition known as like mus muscular degeneration that affects older adults. Mm -hmm. So this drug was approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration in 2011, and they had 90 granted patents, including one for minor adjustments to its sterile packaging. What? And the drug is unlikely to see any generic competitors for years to come. Wow. They keep like tweaking the product to get new patents, like 90 patents. So, wow, I guess the law wasn't written very well then. Well, there's a reason behind that too. But just the list price for a single dose of Ilea in the U.S. is over $1,800. And it costs about half of that in the U.K. Exactly the same drug. So basically, it's like the same thing, but cheaper in the U.K. And as you know, in the U.K., it, the U.K. probably does not have the cheapest drug prices around the world. It's another developed nation. Mm -hmm. So there are uh, a lot of other examples like this. Well, the U.K. has got 20 percent inflation right now, so their economy looks like it's just coming completely apart. And also here in this article says each additional day of patent exclusivity can mean tens of millions of dollars in revenue for a single drug. So for there are two kinds of drugs to treat cancer. They each earn about $25 million per day, respectively. Wow. And another drug, Humira, for treating arthritis, mm -hmm. was bringing in nearly $50 million per day before the first competitor entered the market. Wow. 
like the week the article was written. So this just goes to show that the prices for these drugs huh. are manipulated by the drug company because there's just no forces great enough to challenge them. And at least as consumers, we should know that, right? We should know that it's not because they are worth that much. It's the same thing sells for much lower in other countries. And if we can get things under control in the U.S. That's all troubling. You're listening to The Bridge. But I want to add another angle to this. People in America are desperate. I mean, not, you know, everyone. (gasps) But imagine you're in this position where you're choosing between selling your home or, you know, giving your kids food or giving them medicine. Oh, gosh. There are people who are at the edge. They have no other options. So this article is by Jellica Casas. It's BBC News. Oh, that's a Uh, good one. That's a good article. Yeah. Yes. Let's get to this. So this is Americans are basically driving to Mexico, you know, because these are already people who can't afford medicine, so they can't like get on a flight, right? So they're driving to Mexico and they're driving to border towns. Uh, a lot of the I problem see. is that because of the for there's such low cost medical services. Well, to buy drugs, you know, legal drugs. But the problem is because they're on in border towns, there are a lot of cartel activity in the border towns Mm-mm. trying to get illegal drugs, you know, like cocaine and things into the United States. Ah. So these people go to, you know, small clinics and things trying to buy generic versions of American drugs to treat their children or their own medical conditions. And then they're actually subject to the dangers of being in towns with cartels in them. I just remember vaguely a piece of news about Americans being kidnapped in Mexico. I think they were... Right. That's exactly this. Oh, it's the same. Oh, okay. Okay. This is the same article. So this says, uh, quote, this is the first two sentences of the article. Americans often travel to Mexico for low-cost medical services, but bargain shopping for healthcare can be risky. Over the weekend, this is in March 8th, four Americans were kidnapped in Matamoros. So there are cartels there that are then kidnapping them and holding them ransom. The thing is, these people are not rich. Mm-hmm. These people are poor, so poor they're driving to another country to get drugs. So there's they're not going to be able to their relatives mm-hmm. are not going to be able to pay the ransom. Mm-hmm. Ransom? Oh, they were kidnapped for money. Usually, why people are kidnapped? Oh, oh. I, <laughs> I thought they were. You know, their things were stolen, or they just want like to get cash out. And people are also shot. You know, they get in the middle of like a gang oh my war gosh. and they get shot, and there's that that too. But I mean, this is something people do, right? Like, if I was going to get, um, I can't imagine that. I don't know. If I was really old and I was vain, I wanted to get a facelift or something. I would go to South Korea, right? They're supposed to have like the best. Oh, what? like that kind of job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So people go for medical tourism to other countries. But I think for Americans, for middle class and poor Americans, they're going to Mexico to just buy medicine so that they can live at all because Mm. they can't get the medicine to survive in the United States. That's how broken the medical system is. Except that these towns can be pretty risky or dangerous, I should just say, especially Mm. for foreigners who Mm. don't know how things work on the ground. Mm. Um, So I think they're called, there's an industry called medical tourism. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? Medical yeah, yeah, tourism? Yeah, sure. And as you mentioned... Americans go to fly to like Thailand to get a new hip. Yeah. A new hip? Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah, they have great surgery in Thailand. Some of the best in the world and it's very, very affordable. I heard Cuba is known for having a lot of great doctors. Yeah, yeah. But I've not done research for that. Okay, coming back to this article. So some of these towns in Mexico, they are the top medical tourism destinations. First time I heard this term. For tens of thousands of Americans who can't afford healthcare in the U.S. Hmm. And they're called medical shoppers. You know, hmm. especially those familiar with the region, they've learned how to, you know, like register a car in Mexico so that they don't stand out as foreigners. And I guess it would help if you have friends, local friends who can help to protect you or at least, you know, tell you where not to go. Right. And people go there for cosmetic surgery, too, and especially like dental cares because, hmm. oh, yeah, in the U.S., the dental prices, like the price you hmm. pay for dental care is outrageous. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's not cheap in China either, but still. Yeah, I mean, I got cavities fixed here in China, and I have to say it was about the same as the United States. But I also went with someone who I knew was like top 
tier, one of the best dentists in Beijing. Oh, how was the uh, experience? Because I need... It was fantastic. She did great work. She did better work than I had. I had work done in San Francisco Mm. and she was looking at it and she was like, we're going to undo what they did and we're going to redo it in a different way. And she explained why. And I was like, go for it. Okay. It cost a lot, but... It was worth it? I think I'm going to have teeth, you know, until I die. I'm going to die with my teeth. (laughs) (laughs) With that teeth being perfect still. Yeah. Well, I got to ask you for numbers after the show then. (laughs) So here in this article, he says, medicines and services are cheaper in Mexico, especially dental procedures, Uh. uh, like for cleaning or implant. Implants are expensive, like here in China, too, I heard. Like it could cost over Uh. like a thousand or two thousand dollars. And there is a new like there's a city in Mexico where people like from the U.S. travel there. Like they says there are nearly one million Americans travel to Mexico for medical care each year. Did you know that? Wow. I did not know it was that many. But I mean, I guess, you know, given there are 350 million Americans, it makes sense. They even have this like super town. Oh, what's the name of it? Well, anyhow, so in this article, they give an example of a U.S. citizen who was actually born in Mexico. <laughs> He's 58. So he crosses the border, you know, has been crossing the border for more than a decade to get cheaper treatment for her condition. Mm-hmm. And it's like a two and a half hour drive from her home mm-hmm. to, you know, to the border, which is reasonable, right? You know, you go somewhere nice for vacation and drive for two or three hours. Mm-hmm. Even though she has employer-sponsored health insurance in the U.S., mm-hmm. she says the co-pay are still much more expensive mm-hmm. than what she's charged, like, in Mexico. And there is this new city medical plaza built in the city. It's actually called the New City Medical Plaza complex stands near the Mexico-U.S. border. I knew it was something like that. It was something like that? Oh, yeah. No, I'm joking. I'm just joking. They built this like 33-story medical facility. Wow. Which is open in November of 2022 because there are like so many, uh, I guess, Americans. And it was launched as the best medical tourism facility in the world. I could never imagine linking those two words. Why? I'm actually a little frustrated by this. Uh, I mean, I'm happy that my brethren are in, from America are able to go to Mexico and get treatment. But imagine all of these Mexican doctors with excellent degrees mm, from all over the world the local. are in this massive building catering to Americans, U.S. Americans, instead of Mexican. You must be really frustrated to be a Mexican living in a nearby city or town, knowing that there are these the highest quality medical doctors around art servicing Americans. Mm. And also for, you know, things like cosmetic surgery. Mm. And there's even like hotels and shopping center nearby mm. so that they can literally go there for their medical treatments and also for a vacation. Mm. Well, I guess for Americans living closer to the border, this is a decent choice, except that... Maybe it's good for the local Mexican economy because they're bringing lots of money into the local area. That's true. Oh, okay. I'm learning so much from reading about this. Oh, yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. In an article called The True Story of America's Sky-High Prescription Drug Prices. Hmm. Want to get into this? Oh, yeah, please tell. Yeah? Teach us okay. more, baby. Well, I'm just learning myself. But I think these things, we should all get to know them a bit. You know, like why certain things are happening and why they're so unreasonable. So this is a first step in making positive changes. Mm. So this article is from Vox.com, V-O-X.com. Yeah, yeah. It says this one type of drug that I mentioned earlier for treating arthritis. Mm-hmm. It's called Humira, mm-hmm. H-U-M-I-R-A. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. I'm not going to be able to help you with that. <laughs> yeah. So it says in 2015, patients all around the world spend $14 billion on this one particular drug, which is roughly the size of Jamaica's entire wow. economy. And the same prescription cost on average about $1,300. So over a thousand dollars. But if you were seeing a doctor in Switzerland, the price is 822. Now, Switzerland, like Switzerland is known for its high prices for everything, right? I don't know. I know they have really great banking, great skiing, excellent chocolate. That's about all I know about Switzerland. Yeah. But also high prices. Like uh, if you want to go travel to Switzerland, you probably should, you know, have a pretty fat wallet. So you don't starve there. But even in Switzerland, the price 
for this same drug is $500 less than the US. Hmm. Oh, no, it's even more. That's the UK. I got the article too. In the United States, it's 2,669 versus, so it's more than three times it would have cost in Switzerland and twice the UK. Oh my gosh, twice the UK. So if you're paying for drugs in the United States of America, yay, you have the highest prices in the world. <sighs> we're the winners. Number one, we're number one. Well, the reason why is, see, that goes to show that being the number one is not always the good thing. No, the, what makes the difference is that in the US, there's no regulatory system to check the pharmaceutical industry. Mm. And it says in the article, the U.S. is exceptional in that it does not regulate or negotiate the prices of new prescription drugs when they come onto market. Now, other countries will task a government agency to meet with pharmaceutical companies or haggle over an appropriate price, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what that video was about. Literally, Jason, at the end of the negotiation, I think it was like toward the uh, fifth or sixth round, both sides are like nearly in tears. Like, it was so painful for both the um, representatives from the China National Medical Insurance and also from this pharmaceutical company. It was such a tough negotiation, but it worked out well for patients. Yeah. So that's what, you know, what they need in the U.S. And here he says the U.S. allows drug makers to set their own prices for a given product and allows every product that's proven to be safe come onto the market. So basically, the FDA, they have control over whether or not this drug is safe. And then after that, it's like, how much do you want to price it? None of our business, or there's no one to really put a cap on how much they're willing to charge. So the way you say that, so basically what we're suggesting is that the United States should get involved in pharmaceutical drug pricing. Well, there should be some kind of force to balance the power of pharmaceutical companies, don't you think? <laughs> right. <laughs> they can't just be, I'm going to charge a million dollars for this shot because some people, like maybe a uh, hundred people can afford it. And we think it's worth it. And then what about the rest of, you know, the other millions of people in the population. Yeah. Right. It's just so I personally think that there should be a force mm -hmm. to balance this. I think probably most Americans, especially those who have had uh, dealings with the healthcare system in the United States, would agree with you. Mm. I think very wealthy Americans might disagree with you, but it's clear to, you know, they certainly have the kind of insurance that covers every single right. thing that could um, possibly happen. But So basically, what happens when you don't price regulate drugs? And the article says, just look at the United States. As we mentioned, the U.S. has no government panel that negotiate drug prices. So a lot of these uh, negotiation takes place between like specific insurance companies and the drug makers. And the example they give in this article is that, let's say if you're in China, like you, if you represent China's national insurance, uh -huh. you have the biggest market. Right. Literally, right? 1.4 uh, billion. Well, India is actually has a larger population than probably. China. Yeah. But I don't know about their insurance system. <laughs> I only know this yeah. little bit about. <laughs> I, don't, I have no idea. Too. So I'm using yeah. this. But India is known for its drugs, you know, not like illegal ones, but for making cheaper alternatives. They have a, a very large generic drug yeah, industry. Yeah, they do. Hmm. And so now back to the. I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, we can look into that. They probably have one of the biggest, you know, industries. So other countries, let's say Australia or China, we can negotiate with the pharmaceutical companies to buy in bulk, mm -hmm. basically. Basically, uh, we have a market of 1.4 billion and maybe a certain percentage of people might have this particular disease. Mm -hmm. And these can all be potential customers for your drug. And the pharmaceuticals company should be pretty happy, right, to have all these potential patients. But then the thing you have to give in is that you got to lower your price mm -hmm. to be low enough to be to get on the list for the insurance. So I guess what the Americans are missing out is buying in bulk, right? Because each insurance company only have so many of people who are using their insurance. If they can come together. I think if we just take Bebe's thesis for this last almost hour now, I think we would be able to move the United States in a positive direction that would be best for most people in the United States of America. But I want to add some complications to this and just make the argument a little more spicy. You never know what throwing a little more spice into, into things is going to bring about. This is a true fact about Japan. If you are over a certain BMI, that means if you're fat, 
you are kicked out of the national insurance program. And in the United States, I don't know, maybe a lot of people don't know this. If you are a smoker, you do not qualify for certain insurance programs or your insurance premiums skyrocket. Why? Because you are doing literal damage to yourself that will almost certainly mean additional medical costs. So in Japan, not only is that true for smoking, but it's also true for being fat. No way. What? Why? So if you have a certain over a certain BMI and you say, oh, I need a liver transplant or something, they may just say, sorry, the government's not going to help you because you're too fat. If you want to get back into the insurance program, you go lose 10 pounds and come back to us and we'll help you. Oh, my God. I will probably be considered fat in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> have you visited there? Like, have you traveled to Japan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Sure. I mean, they are so tiny. They're like skin and bones. <laughs> <laughs> they look healthy, but they're trying to de-risk the health insurance program for the Japanese people by insisting people don't smoke, right. don't drink too much and maintain a healthy BMI. But they probably have such stringent <laughs> standards for that. Well, good to know. Yeah, they do. They do have very stringent standards for that. That's I think that's really interesting because, you know, here in China, people aren't really fat either. You know, maybe I think they're healthy sized or whatever. But you do go to the United States and you do see a very large amount of people who are very large. So, mm. you know, if we Americans want to have better health insurance for everyone, one of the things we should probably consider is taking a little bit better care of ourselves. Right. I mean, like if you see how Japanese people eat, they eat like tiny portions. I would starve if I live in Japan for like the long term. I would be it's not just about the pricing. Like I would be embarrassed to eat like the full amount that I can eat. You go to a restaurant for tempura, you know, like fried vegetables. Yeah. I remember I ordered um, asparagus <laughs> and the waitress brought like one. <laughs> yeah, it was one stock, small stock of fried hmm. asparagus tempura cut in half and put in this like fancy shape. I stared at it. It was like, that's it. It was like $3. <laughs> you know, I keep hearing these stories from people. But Summer and I, when my wife and I, when we went to Japan, we didn't have this. Maybe we were just going to like, you know, a different kind of restaurant. But we were in Osaka. We went to have noodles in a ramen restaurant. And they served this huge bowl of like the most amazing ramen I've ever had in my life. My point is, you know, insurance can be complicated. It's not just only about the pharmaceutical companies profiteering off of people. That's definitely true. And it's obvious and it's it's happening in America and probably elsewhere around the world. But it's also true that we when I say we, I mean, Americans need to take a little bit of responsibility for increasing access to health care by taking better care of ourselves. For example, as another factor, there are many factors that are going into this. Well, it's hard to do because with a lot of things in the U.S., we know where the problem is, but then you find mm. that there's no way to shake up the existing system, right? For example, we now know that, oh, so there's no government panel that negotiate drug prices. Why don't we just set up one as soon as possible? Why wasn't there one yeah. in the past 200 years, right? It's not that right. hard of a thing to think up. So yeah. there must be reasons like power struggles between pharmaceutical companies who spend mm. I don't know, probably billions of dollars lobbying. lobbying. Lobbying congresspersons not to let that happen. So sometimes you wonder who is the government serving? It's serving the people with the most money. Absolutely. I think most Americans are aware of that. Yeah. And nothing can be done about it. It's stuck. Yeah. I mean, this uh, is something that I I'm just guessing based on my own personal experience of talking to all my American friends, like 19 out of 20 people know that the United States government is bought and paid for by these giant companies. But literally, there's nothing you can do because the companies kind of decide who the candidates you're going to choose from are. And they said, we choose these two guys or two ladies or a lady and a guy because uh, they took our money and we're giving them, you know, half a trillion dollars each to run for president. So you don't really get to choose who the president is. You get to choose who the rich people have decided the candidates are. 
That's scary. Uh, it's not. I'm not making this up. Every American knows this. This is common knowledge amongst Americans that the rich people make oh, the rules. Jason has just revealed the biggest secret of the century. It's the golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rules. My gosh, we can't stand that. And here where I live, people, people, people have the power. You know, of course, private capital, all these companies, they have lots and lots of power. But when the people stand together, we have more power than they have. Mm. And that's a belief that, you know, we've had in this country ever since its founding. Oh, yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. An article from PGPF, and it is why Americans are paying more for health care. So it has a bunch of statistics. And I like statistics because I like numbers. Mm. You can trust numbers. Mm -hmm. So this is health costs in the United States have increased drastically over the past few decades. And it talks national health expenditures as a percentage of GDP. So in 1960, as a percentage of all of the money that was existed in our economy in the United States of America, we Americans were paying 5% of all of our money as an economy to our health care. Okay, fast forward to 2020, and it is about 17% of our national GDP. That means all the money in our economy is now spent on healthcare. Mm. But the thing is, health, you know, outcomes and longevity was increasing until about 2010. Mm. And since 2010 to now, it has been decreasing. People are actually not living as long as they did 10 years ago. People in America are dying at younger ages and we're spending more on our health insurance, on our health, the cost of our health, our health expenditures. I'm guessing it's people who are in the lower uh, portion of the society, like with lower incomes. You have to choose between food and medicine and you're choosing food and you're dying earlier, that isn't an improvement in our national health outcome. So obviously things need to be done. And this is post-Obama. Right. So Obama came in, he said he was going to fix health. You know, they tinkered with the system a lot, but nothing got better. Mm. You know, you would like numbers. I have some here too. 2021, average cost of healthcare spending for Americans is $12,900 per person. That's huge. $12,900 per person. Wow. That's like somebody's salary, you know, of course, on the really low end. But someone could survive on this, right? And just average spending. And it's $4.3 trillion for the country altogether. And in other developed countries, it's only half of this cost. And um, I want to talk a little bit about Medicare, which is the healthcare. These would be the closing okay. thoughts on yeah, today. Maybe then. not uh, a really high note, but anyhow. So Medicare, which covers about 55 million Americans over the age of 65, the federal law expressly prohibits Medicare from negotiating drug prices or making decisions about which drugs it covers. Why? That's set to change because of the Inflation Act. Okay. And also Medicare is required to cover nearly all drugs that the FDA approves. This means that Medicare must cover drugs that aren't an improvement over what currently exists, so long as the FDA finds they're safe for human consumption. So drug makers know that as long as their products are safe, Medicare will buy them. And for Medicare, the sky really is the limit on drug prices, what? says Jimmy Love, who has studied drug pricing and directs the D.C. nonprofit Knowledge Ecology International. So basically, the system is set up so that they can charge however much they want. Sky really is the limit. This is crazy. And sadly, we're not going to be able to fix the problem, baby. And I today on The Bridge Podcast, if you like this show, please remember to subscribe if you want to add to this conversation and you want us to read your comments on the air. We will. Please send us an email at welovethebridge at gmail.com. Thank you so much for your time, baby. Jason is so frustrated. He's just going to end the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. You know, it sounds frustrating, but I learned a lot. And the first step into making any change possible is to get to know the problem. Well, thank you, our listeners. We'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, guys. Bye-bye.